Something that frustrated me a lot um, when I watch my trans friends um, is that they like extend grace to a lot of people, even when they're the ones being harmed, just because transphobia is so ingrained in our culture that we often have to do the work of educating other people. And I think it makes it sometimes hard to remember what you deserve. You're listening to the podcast, Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. Hey there, it's Tracy. It's hard to believe that we are in our third year of producing the Mi'iviq Story Slam. It is our signature annual event, where we hold an open call for story submissions from across North America. And we get to kick off Asian Pacific American Heritage Month by showcasing Viet stories and voices on our global platform. This year's theme is Lost and Found, stories about the people and things we've lost and the journeys to rebuild and reclaim. And can you believe we had a record number of submissions this year? On May 4th, Five storytellers were showcased in this year's event. Hello, everyone. My name is Alexander Nguyen, and I'm representing from Eastside San Jose. Hello, everyone. I'm Keyshawn Tran, and I'm coming in from the San Gabriel Valley, but I'm currently in San Diego for a university. Hi, I'm Mai Tran. I grew up in Orange County, but now I'm based in New York. Hi, I'm Tran Mai. Um, I'm in Long Beach, um, and I am from the Bay Area. Hi, Chào bạn. I'm yeah. Hương. I'm Karen Han. And we're sisters. Um, and we're actually, uh, we're two of four siblings from Growing Up Win, And we're based here in Oakland, California. This episode is an audio version of the stories shared, hosted by me and our VBP Story Slam lead, Megan Doe. So Alexander Nguyen, was born and raised in East San Jose. He's the son of a mother who was a teacher in Vietnam and a father who was a Vietnam War veteran. He comes from a legacy of community activists and educators from the Bay Area. Um, he is passionate about learning with and from youth, uh, learning about Chicana, Chicano uh, and Vietnamese life experiences and history and bridging the Vietnamese and Mexican communities in East San Jose. The title of his story is it was time to reconnect. I was born and raised in East San Jose, which has the biggest Vietnamese population. You know, growing up as a second generation Vietnamese person was difficult because I never spoke uh, Vietnamese fluently. I was made fun of because I couldn't speak the language. I remember so many times I was told, you're not one of us because you don't speak the language. After hearing that, I disconnected with the community because why be associated with being Vietnamese if they didn't see me as one of them. I hated the community, and I told myself I would never reconnect with them. I hated to say I was Vietnamese. I dreaded coming to Grand Central Mall in San Jose in any Vietnamese event. I just couldn't stand it. And this was an identity I lost for a decade of my life. And what's interesting about me is my identity was shaped by the Mexican community of San Jose because I had Mexican friends, so I grew up embracing the culture more. Now, at times, I felt more Mexican than Vietnamese, and I took an intro to Chicano Studies class at the end of college, where I felt more empowered to learn about uh, the Mexican community. However, um, things changed one day in 2017. My mom was diagnosed with liver cancer, and she passed away in 2018. On her last day, I remember I apologized for being so lost in my Vietnamese roots, and I felt ashamed. However, the next day, uh, you know, I opened a photo album and I saw a picture of me. I was like, wow, like, I, like I'm Vietnamese, y'all. You know, I saw being Vietnamese was more than a language. And uh, a month later, I had to go to San Jose State and uh, uh, I minored in Chicano studies, but something was still missing. And it wasn't until summer 2021, I joined the Vietnamese American Roundtable to, you know, to reconnect to my community. In VAR, we had to do a community project on an issue, and I wanted to address the racism within our community um, against Black Americans. So I talked about how Black Americans helped refugees after the Vietnam War, where over 50 Black American activists you know, um, wanted us here. 
you know, Bayard Rustin, um, who was a part of the International Refugee Committee, advocated to open the doors for us and saw us as our brothers and sisters, not enemies or competitors. I remember the joy that day um, presenting my project and you know, to reconnect um, is to educate the community. Despite the past, I knew it was time to reconnect and to heal the wounds. And I don't hate the community anymore. And I know not everyone will make fun of me for not speaking um, the language. Um, I found my roots being in the Mexican community, but also it's always been in the Vietnamese community. Uh, the roots were just, you know, waiting there for me. And I'm glad to call East San Jose my home. Thank you everyone for listening. Oh man, Alexander, right in the fields. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for sharing your story. It was time to reconnect. Um, it, it, it's just so beautiful. And um, I want to ask you, you know, you talked about growing distant from your, your born Vietnamese identity, but gravitating toward Mexican culture and minoring or, or, or studying Chicano studies in school. Um, what was it like being, you know, Vietnamese American studying Chicano studies at school? And then kind of second part to that question is how do the two cultures intersect? You know, they're so different, but but I would love to get your take on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, you know, when I took Chicano studies, I it was very empowering to learn a culture I felt connected growing up. And uh, I was like, wow, like, oh, well, I thought I knew everything. I was like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know this. And Every Chicano studies class I took, um, I felt I belonged there and I built community with everyone in the class. And even though I was the only Vietnamese person in there, I felt I was more connected to them than my own, my own people. And, um, you know, studying Chicano studies was really impactful for me, really healing for me because um, it helped me deal with my mom's death and when she had cancer. Um, there was a class in Chicano studies, I entered the class and we focused, we talked about death the whole, period right the whole class period and um I, when my mom passed away I kind of remember that that class and it was because of Chicano studies where I was able to do community work where I interview Chicano veterans in the Vietnam War and my own veteran uh, you know our own people in the Vietnam War and I do I think the question on you know how the two cultures intersect right that, that's an interesting one I, I think there's there's different key key values that these two um, cultures intersect. You know, one, I think um, both the Vietnamese and American culture, we're really communalistic. You know, our people has always been communalistic. You know, we always do things together. We usually do things together um, because we know uh, it, it goes further in the community. Um, I think every culture has family, right? So family is, really, of course, a really big thing. And what's interesting, what I noticed between these two cultures is as our elders, you know, I think um, I look at my elders and both of them really value the earth. They really see like the earth as very sacred. And I see in both communities, like the elders just talking to the plants, right? And no, for the younger generation, we're like, what the heck, right? But for the <laughs> elders, they, right, they, they talk to the plants, right? And um, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And um, for some reason, um, four, the number four is such a big thing with both cultures. So what I mean is for us, right, for the Vietnamese folks, we have the four sacred animals, right? We have the phoenix, the dragon, the turtle, and I can't, I don't want to call it unicorn, but it looks like a lion thing. I don't know how to explain it, <laughs> right? And in Mexican culture, depending on what um, group, because, um, you know, Mexico is not just, you know, Mexican, it's it's more indigenous groups. There's a lot of indigenous groups in Mexico and they have um, the four like energies of the gods and mm -hmm. the four directions, like North, East, South, and West and four stages of life, four seasons, right? So I was like, huh, like, wow. why is everything four? Like, why yeah. is it so similar? So that's some ways I feel, um, those cultures um, intersect. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so cool um, to, to kind of put that under a microscope and kind of think about that. Um, but uh, I'd love to hear more about your experience with the, the Vietnamese American Roundtable bar, uh, which you spoke about in your story. Um, how did you come, like overcome this, the initial nerves to put yourself out there and, and, and connect with the Vietnamese community and, and connect with this group? Yeah, I think for, you know, VAR or the Vietnamese American Roundtable, um, I saw a post on Instagram. Um, I, uh, they're having this program called the SEEDS program. I think, top of my head, you know, uh, Student Engagement and Education for Development Success Program. It's a long name, right, for acronym, SEEDS. And 
I was so hesitant. I was like, I ain't feeling this. Like, I don't know about this. You know, uh, I don't know if I want to reconnect with a community that brought pain to me. Uh, I, I felt a lot of pain um, because one, I always, you know, was told that, you know, you're not one of us because you don't speak the language. And second, since I'm a teacher, for some reason, folks don't like that I'm being a teacher for some reason, right? And so that be, that brought more pushback against the Vietnamese community. And so why, I told myself, why would I reconnect to this community that brought pain for me for a decade of my life? That doesn't make sense. Like you wouldn't go back. And But at the same time, I knew I had to do the program if I want to reconnect one day and to heal the wounds. Because after my mom passed away, I really wanted to connect. And I saw myself, you know what, maybe it's, it's time, it's time to, to reconnect, right? And I reflected, you know what? Not everyone is gonna make fun of me for not speaking the language and, you know, um, and there's people that can support me being a teacher. And I, so I can't assume everyone's gonna think about that. And I had to really think to myself, you know what? Um, being Vietnamese was more than language um, that, um, you know, there's more, there's more to being Vietnamese than a language. I saw, um, you know, the roots, my parents, right? My parents were Vietnam. I know some of the history of Vietnamese history. Like, am I not? Am I not Vietnamese? And I knew I had to go through this discomfort, this pain to to heal. Which is weird because I feel in order to heal, you have to go through pain. And which I mean is, you really got to experience your emotions. You have to face them, and you have to really acknowledge the past to work for the future. And um, I'm glad that um, uh, VAR, right, the Vietnamese American Roundtable, um, accepted me to. Um, who I am. That's that's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask. Yeah, I was gonna ask what advice because uh, it feels like it was like a journey for you, and I don't know. Maybe your you know the passing of your mom was like a a very emotional trigger yeah. point, but like for others that may be feeling the same, feeling very disconnected to their heritage, like what advice would you give? Are you talking about to like connect to the community? Is like to reconnect with them or? Yeah, like for others that are going through what you, how yeah. you felt. Like right now, yeah. they're going through it. They feel disconnected to their language, their heritage, their yeah. culture. Like, you know, what words would you kind of advise them to, to think yeah. about? You know, I'll say it's okay. How you feel is how you feel. So, you know, it's, it's okay if you feel scared, if you don't want to connect for reasons like me, right? I mean, it took a decade, a good decade in my life. Um, I think we all have our own comfort levels and it's up to you to decide when you want to, to reconnect to the community. Um, and, but I think we have to really acknowledge it first. Like, okay, like, why am I feeling this discomfort first? And then, cause if you don't acknowledge it, it's just going to be sitting there and it's going to be painful for you. And, um, I'll just, you know, end with there, like, you know, you have to acknowledge yourself, um, on, um, this is the pain I'm going through and I want to reconnect, but I don't know how. And, you know, it, it takes it slow, take it slow. Like it's not, you shouldn't just right away go to the community. And, oh, I want to connect, but it's going to bring pain. I, I think it's up to you to decide um, on um, how you want to connect to the community. That's great. That's such great advice. Thank you so much, Alexander, for, for sharing your story. And I hope that um, people who are watching are inspired to, you know, reconnect with their, um, identities, their, their, their culture. Um, and just, I think your story is so inspiring, just um, taking that risk and, and putting yourself out there. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. And that was, it was time yes. to reconnect was mm -hmm. the name of the piece. Okay, so let's go um, to our next storyteller. We have Keyshawn Tran and he performs original spoken word poetry and creates audio visual content. As a third year student at UC San Diego studying interdisciplinary computing, music, and technology, he's made music, poetry, and YouTube videos about his first generation Asian American college experience. In his live performances for UC San Diego's Department of Music, TEDx, and Alumni Association, he shares his lived experiences and ambition to contribute to the Asian American community. The story that we're gonna share with you is titled, It's Never Just.
Mom, are you sure it's just the insurance? It feels like there's something deep below the surface, something lost like a song without a chorus, something never said but so crucially important, like a young girl feeling worthless, or generational cycles of belittling our youth by recycling hurtfulness. I can't feel your pain for you. That would only double this cryptic curse, but I can love the parts of you that still have room to learn. We grew up in different times, but your mindset's still vintage, like records from 75. Your rhythm revolves at a time when your sole purpose was to survive, but the genre has changed. We can now thrive, and I'm swinging to a new kind of style. Love is okay to be expressed in the open with a smile or a hug, or a kiss on the cheek every once in a while. Times have been a changing ever since you've grown up, and life has rearranged in every way ever since I've joined the grown-up club. There's no more need for you to feel like I'm a child or can't understand your tough love, your language of unspoken sacrifices, silent sentiments, because I do. But I also believe in our words, spoken aloud to be heard and their power to cherish the people we hold dearest to us. Please try to understand me when I speak and you disagree. Please try to reach out a hand when I'm just being another angry teen. Please try to try when you can because without your listening, I drown into despondency. My eyes turn to oceans and emotions keep us at a distance. Your sight searches the horizon, her eyes in another time, in a previous life, just a young refugee girl striving and starving for a safe life. Please, it's time to let go of old beliefs, the chains binding your feet. It's time to uncoil your jaded jade wristbands, the luxuries limiting your reach. It's time to silent your superstitions, the straitjackets paralyzing your mind with anxiety. It's time to accept that being a mom is learning and teaching striving and being, nurturing, then releasing, steering and freewheeling, it's all of these things. And I know I've never felt it before. I'm not your parent, so I can't pretend to preach the soul truth, but I am your youngest heir and I care so much for you. You raised me and now I get to raise you. I see us in the future, standing hand in hand together, showing our emotions. Showing our emotions is change. Change for the better. Yes, we cry easier. But that just means we're living through each season and dancing with the weather. In summer, we will sweat. In winter, we may shiver. Yet our lowest moments will help us become who we are. Our emotions will alchemize and rise to the stars. Our spoken words will be heard and turned into art and compassion. We'll find refuge in the small things. Together, whatever life brings, written in the same book, written by the same hand, a generational chapter away, but finally on the same page at last. Fun, yes. What a beautiful letter to your mom. Thank you all. Thank you all. <laughs> I hear the snaps. I hear the snaps in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell me, is there something that um, you've performed before? Oh, so I actually had the chance to perform this at an open mic poetry night after I submitted this maybe like two nights ago at my college. And yeah, I performed it there. But no, this is a lot of my poems, I love memorizing them because it gives me the sense of real ownership when I have that performance within me. Um, and I've performed it once before, but really this is, that performance in front of the camera was the first ever real performance, you know? Okay, wow, because it, it came very naturally. So tell us about the piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's clearly an intimate letter to your mom, but tell us what the piece is about. Yes, okay. This has actually happened from one of the experiences um, when I wanted my first car ever and I was 19 at this time and I was talking to my mom and we were we were talking about like oh what does it mean to have a car now that I'm in college I'm living off campus I'm like 40 50 60 minutes away if I go by bus 
and I was just talking about the logistics of college, how hard it was for me, and um, my, my mom didn't have the chance to go to a four-year university, so um, already we were having a lot of different rifts with how we understood the college system, how we understood the education system, and when it came to this, it was just something we couldn't see eye to eye with in the beginning, and so I remember we had a, we had a altercation, like we, we were just talking and we couldn't get along, altercation verbally. And I remember I broke down, uh, I broke down, I was in tears. And there was this moment where I was just sitting on one of those little Asian chairs, one of Asian stools in the restroom. I was like, damn, I'm crying and this sucks. And then I said like, you know, we fight, but it's never just about what we fight. It's always about something deeper. So that's what started the first prompting of mom. Are you sure it's just the insurance? the car insurance. Are you sure it's just the insurance? There's something deep. And that's how the song, not the song, that's how the poem came to fruition. Just that idea, that conversation, and those emotions that I was feeling uh, wanted to be spoken out loud, um, which is so contrary to what, you know, my parents' generation was taught to do. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, those are words, it's clearly a very intimate letter of the things that you want to say to her. But because of our culture, sometimes we don't feel comfortable openly saying these things. Um, and I think you mentioned that your mom is watching. Is she, she watching? Is watching. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time she's yes, seeing it. this is the first time she's seeing it. <laughs> Mom, if you're out there, chat with us. Tell us what you think. <laughs> I'm sure she will. I'm sure she will. <laughs> and um... so, um, I was just gonna also ask you because clearly with your bio, you've done a lot of other types of creative work. Um, and so with that piece specifically, you talked about the inspiration, or at least how how it you know started. Um, but in general, like, do you have a specific creative process of when an idea comes about and then how does it come to Ooh, fruition? This is great. This is great. So great question. Great question. Idea, creative process. <laughs> I, I took a long time to develop my own creative process. Um, but basically what I started with was in two years ago during um, my first quarters online, online school during quarantine, I wanted to challenge myself to write songs. I had never written songs. I'd never expressed my emotions in an artistic way. So I was like, I wanna do something ambitious. And so I challenged myself to write a song every single day. I've never written songs before. I knew how to play the guitar. I taught myself that. I knew how to sing. I was in choir in high school, but I'd never done anything outside the scope of making my own creative process. So I did songwriting every single day for 258 days straight. I did not stop. I was sick. You know, there was one time I was throwing up. There was one time I was like, you know, going on vacation and, you know, all these different things. I took a ukulele, I took a guitar, I took a piano, and I wrote songs every single day. After those 258 days, I was so psyched about my new skills and being disciplined enough to be creative and also like keeping myself at it. And I read my first spoken word poetry book. And when I read that, it was completely mind opening. I had never considered just writing as an art form. I always thought that, you know, there had to be music, it has to be catchy, it has to be structured. And the fundamental way that I like to connect with people is through conversation. So when I saw spoken word poetry, plus the skills I taught myself with the songwriting challenge, I was like, I want to put those two things together. And that was the beginning of my spoken word poetry. And from there, um, now sometimes how I actually create my things, which is the question you asked, um, sometimes I write up, I write myself up prompts, like, you know, five or six questions. And then I sit down, I give myself space and I choose to write stuff down about it. Usually I have very, very many notepads around me. So I have notepads for a lot of different things. I have pens all the time. I always have my sticky notes and I always keep a writing utensil very close because that, that spark of inspiration can be from something as small as, Oh my God, I looked outside today and there is this man helping this little kid up and this kid was smiling so big and it reminded me of when I was a kid. Or it could be like, oh man, I'm having a really rough time and I think this is the first time I'm going through this. Let me write about this. And those are the, those are the seedlings. Those are the sparks of inspiration for how I write my poems. And then I just rely on my intuition. Yeah, no, and I think that is like, that is a true sign of a writer. We did our last episode, we interviewed um, 
Ming Fan Mai, the author of The Mountain Sings, and she said, similar to you, she said she was always wanted to be a writer, but it took her years to have mm. the guts to do it. But she was writing journals. She was just observing what people did and writing it down for like eight years before she like had the courage to just pursue her dream to wow. be a writer. And so you're not too far off the path. Um, and that that's great to hear. And mom, I hope you're proud. If you're hearing this um, piece for the first time, just know that we all love it as well. And we hope you do too. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. That piece was called, It's Never Just. Thanks, thank Keyshawn. Thank you all so much. Oh, that was so beautiful. Um, next up we have Mai Tran. Hi, Mai. Uh, I'm gonna <clears throat> intro Mai real quick. So Mai Tran is a genderqueer Vietnamese American writer. She was raised in Orange County, California, and is currently based in New York. Her work has appeared in Apogee, Box, ID, The Rumpus, and elsewhere. The title of her story is T-Voice. I'm writing this story in a way I never have before, talking out loud to myself into an app that will transcribe my words instead of putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. I used to hate the sound of my own voice. Whenever I had to transcribe interviews for my job, I paid other people or bots to do it for me. Last week, I did an interview that was broadcast on the radio. My dad recorded it, and when I sent it to my brother, he listened and replied, Is that your voice? I don't recognize it. And then I did that thing that white people love to call, coming out, and I messaged back, Yeah, I started HRT so my voice dropping. And I wouldn't say he took it well, but he didn't take it too badly either. Last December, I picked up my first prescription of 0.2 milligram testosterone gel. I kept it in a drawer in my desk because I didn't want to start it afraid. And then I went to visit my family for the holidays with a shaved head and bleached eyebrows. My grandma gave me the expected lecture, but my favorite grand uncle said, Giwa and it kind of felt like a slap in the face. Every time I see an old Vietnamese man, I want to cry. I love their weathered skin and the way they disappear into the backyard with their pack of marble golds and the way they lean back in their chair when they order their second Heineken or how they're always wearing a silly little safari hat or a gangster fedora or an ivy cap. I love the way they squat in front of their restaurants, and I love the way that they are quiet. That December, I cried and cried and cried because when I was cis, I read all the sad trans stories, and I didn't realize just how scary it was to have your friends conflate their fear of men with you, or to realize that if your family isn't brave enough to dis disown you, you will have to decide how many passive-aggressive comments you will tolerate before you disown them. You learn that there are only three ways to administer tea, and they're all pretty shit. You start with gel that is cold on your body and cold in the winter, so you switch to a patch that leaves itchy red circles on your thighs, back, arms, stomach. So you switch back to gel because you can't take time off work to get trained for the shot but the pharmacy is out of gel, so you keep putting red swelters all over your body, and for what? You think so much about how people will like you less that you forget to imagine the good things until they come. You can't shut up because of your new jawline and how you can flex your neck and the dimple that your mom liked that had disappeared but came back and finally fitting into your clothes and not having to wonder, what if you had that T voice? Wow, my thank you so much for sharing your story. I felt like it was a true window into your world. Um, you know, I just, <clears throat> yeah, you're, you're so you're so brave, and it's just so admirable um, to 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 share your story like this. But um, gender is such a black and white thing in in Vietnamese culture. You know, I remember personally like. You know, the second I was born, I was in like puffy dresses and, and huge bows and, you know, I was a girl. That is that is my gender, you know. Um, even seeing the, the process of administering tea um, in your video was, was new to a lot of us. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about 
the thought process that went into putting together this piece and, and how you felt? Yeah, um, thanks. I only started identifying as trans last year and I just started hormone replacement therapy or HRT in January. So I feel very much like a baby trans person and I wanted to document this early process for myself. So I can hopefully look back on it when I'm like an old and jaded gay. Um, yeah, and it was just a very emo process for me because I've been following a Vietnamese Boat People podcast for a very long time. Um, but I was very scared to submit something in the previous years because like I really didn't want to listen to the sound of my own voice. Um, so yeah, the theme really resonated with me. Um, I was also initially embarrassed about the piece because trans experiences are so varied, but the ones that are often shared the most are the sad trans stories. And I didn't really want to contribute more to that narrative, but it's also just the reality of a lot of people's lives. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. No, continue 100%. Um, I'm so glad you you put yourself out there and wanted to change the, the narrative and, 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 you know, shift that that thinking, so. I've lost it a lot. I, I don't remember the exact words, but there is a moment in the piece where you said something to the effect you have to decide whether you continue to put up with it or just disown them. And I really love that piece because it was giving the power back to you that you don't have to put up with it and you don't have to um, try to get acceptance. It's, you know, it's your decision. It's your authentic you. And you got to get to that comfort level. And we did an interview with um, Jung Lenwi. Have you read The Magic Fish? Yes. Oh, yeah. I was so excited when I saw they were judging. I love that book. Yeah. So when we did the interview with him, because his book is also about a young boy, um, you know, coming out to his parents. But the book, in the book, his parents were very open and accepting. And they welcomed him with compassion. Um, and I asked him why, you know, why he chose that narrative, because there were so many narratives out there about fighting adversity and like trying to find acceptance. And he said the very same thing you just said. He wanted to set the bar that this should be something you embrace and that you should, you know, set that narrative because otherwise people don't expect it. Um, and so I, I love that that's the tone that you wanted to take. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you mentioned just now you're, you, you consider yourself a, a baby, baby trans. Um, and I love that so much. But um, how did you, how have you found community um, and, and support during this time and as you navigate this very new process in your life? Yeah, um, so like all the Vietnamese families that I grew up with in are definitely matriarchies and the men like very quiet and they're kind of just there and I always thought that was funny um I've always felt more aligned with that and like I think like watching like all my old grandparents and grand uncles who I like they're just like very quiet and they're just I don't know I just like love watching them and I really like their smell particularly like their hair gel mixed with cigarettes and I think um just like being around them I kind of like hope I age that way and it's also been a little bit difficult um, in the Vietnamese community because I only know a handful of trans people. And in the trans community, um, white people just dominate everything. Um, so I spent a lot of time online in like various groups and I actively sought out people through my trans health center, which I'm really lucky to have one near me. Um, and I also had like one trans mom who knew me when I was cis and who's been there for me throughout the whole process. And she's like older, which she doesn't like me to mention, um, but she's very wise and amazing. And um, just seeing other trans people existing and living their lives has been really helpful. Like I can like name in my head, like the two trans people I saw who um, like made me want to be trans from seeing them. It's so beautiful. Um, I love that you've been able to find support and community um, <clears throat> in this process. But, you know, for someone who is listening right now or who's watching, who is, um, you know, thinking about transitioning or, or you know, really exploring their um, gender queerness, you know, what advice do you have for those folks? Yeah, um, something that frustrated me a lot um, when I watch my trans friends um, is that they like extend grace to a lot of people, even when they're the ones being harmed, just because transphobia is so ingrained in our culture that we often have to do the work of educating other people. And I think it makes it sometimes hard 
to remember what you deserve. And I think I would tell other trans or genderqueer Vietnamese folks that they deserve everything and it's not supposed to be like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Mai. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I personally felt so inspired by it. And I just, I, you keep doing what you're doing and, and sharing your story and, and you know, people will listen. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And her piece was called Kiwi Voice. So next we have um, Trin Mai. And Trin is a California-based visual artist who works with a breadth of natural, traditional, and inherited media that holds histories of their own. Her current work confronts the fear, injustice, and devastation that has harrowed our communities and our refugee and immigrant families then and now. Seeking hope within humanity's consistent struggle and war and hardship, Trin has worked with numerous humanitarian organizations, including the Friends of Hue Foundation, Children's Shelter in Vietnam, and Angkor Hospital and Children in Cambodia, also partnering with the International Rescue Committee to develop creative projects with, her, with refugee children. She currently serves as a professional artist fellow for the city of Long Island. The title of her story is Things Hidden. Hi, I'm Trin Mai and I'm a visual artist based in California. Um, and in thinking about lost and found, this is actually something that I've been working on for the last several years, um, specifically about things hidden and things revealed. So I wanted to show some work that I've been making based on uh, this idea. So this is a new series that I'm working on called um, Things Hidden, and I'm thinking about the refugees and how during the escape there have been so many people that have sewn their valuables into the hems of their garments. So I'm just trying to relive that. Um, so here, um, and I love this, this is um, chiffon here, which hides while it reveals as well. Um, here's a photo of my husband and his father. You can see it's faint. Here's my family. Um, this is taken, uh, this photo was taken during my mom's baptism right there. And then in the pocket here, um, there, this is a copy um, that's actually, it was uh, stained with tea harvested in Vietnam, but it's a copy of my husband's father's release papers from the labor camp. Um, so I'm hiding these valuables thinking about um, the documents and the photos that our people had to burn um, and hide um, for survival. Um, here is a blazer that I made, um, also same material. You can see some of the writing here. It's free writing actually and kind of telling the story. I'm using my auntie's typewriter that I inherited to type retype these letters. And it's based on um, my Belois sewing patterns that I inherited as well. Um, you can see here's a letter um, that was sent to um, her by her sister after Meng Wai had arrived in America and her sister was still in Saigon. Um, and look at those Vietnamese stamps. Oh, so beautiful. Um, so yeah, so this is a few of, um, these are a few of the garments I made. Each garment has a little tag. It says made in Vietnam. And in that tag is hidden a little um, fragment of Bung Wai's letter. So I found a loophole <laughs> on how to share them without really sharing them. So I'm just gonna kind of show you um, the series here or a little bit of it. I'm still working on it. I don't know how many that would be. But here's a little bra, a little onesie I just made. Um, and there's multiple things here, like in the pockets. Um, here's my mom's Vietnam ID. Uh, yeah, and other photos, a family. So yeah, lost and found. Wow, Trin, I love it so much. And then we could see the pieces in your background. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. I you know, it comes to a point where I actually show them and then I have to figure out how they're going to be presented. I, I'm sure a lot of you other creatives deal with that too. You're so focused on the work and developing the work. You forget that it might 
show <laughs> somewhere. So yeah, so this is in progress. You're seeing what's happening in my brain as it comes to you. Oh, well, you know what? It's no, it's gorgeous. So I have so many questions. So let me start with, <laughs> with one. Um, how did you come about these artifacts? Like, have you always had them? I grew up. So tell me how you found some of these. Yeah. Things. So I I grew up looking through my grandmother's photos, and I had no idea that it was so rare to have them until I started working with UCI's uh, Vietnamese American Oral History Project. Um, and Jem would ask like, how do you even have these photos? I'm like, I don't know, what do you mean? I grew up with these. And then through that, I had learned that so many, and through my husband too, because um, he has no baby pictures. And I had learned that so many of our documents were burned. So my family, we were quite privileged because a lot of my grandmother's brothers and sisters studied abroad. So they were able to preserve their own archives. And um, I have some photos I can show you how, how, how far back they go. So this was like, taken in 1939. Like in my family, we hardly have any pictures because things were burned, things were lost during the war. People were um, evacuating, people were fleeing, and you took as little as you possibly could with you. And um, I mean, so when you have these pieces, because you have a whole collection behind you. So did you go digging for more? No, I just have them and I live with them and I have them posted all over. The studio is pretty much an experimental space. Um, it's not like a gallery space. Everything is half done <laughs> um, until deadline rolls around and then I'm like scurrying, <laughs> trying to get things settled. Um, but I live with them and I live with these objects. I actually include um, I use some of the tools that I've inherited from Mangwai. So her sewing needles and her threads and my cousin B's threads, and I just live with them and I use them. So they become a part of my, my daily practice. Um, and then, um, and so the work kind of tells me, it kind of informs me more. I feel like the majority of my process is to be patient. <laughs> Well, to be honest and patient, but while I'm waiting to keep my hands busy. So I'm fumbling around with things and I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to find the way um, the objects might help tell the story because they all hold histories of their own. And that's why I use them because they help me tell the story. Um, so there's, but then there's certain photos that strike me and I don't really know what it is. Um, but if I see it, there's a feeling and then, um, and then I want to examine that thing. So then I keep tinkering, uh, and there are these, uh, um, serendipitous moments that happen that kind of confirm for me that the work is exactly what it needs to be. Like a quick example is I did this project and I said, how cool would it be to have Vietnamese sand in the project? Of course, like what is the most difficult <laughs> thing for me to do that's what I'm going to choose um and my husband was like oh we'll just go to Newport and grab, grab some sand but it's not the same and that week one of my like beach sand beach sand from Vietnam though it had to be from Vietnam <laughs> um they didn't put it in a jar yeah. so I well yes they did they did belong in jars it was for a commission for someone for a friend and um that week, one of my elder students said, I'm sorry, I'm going to be missing class because I'm heading to Vietnam. And I, I was like, oh, that's funny because I kind of need some sand. Can you bring some sand back for me? And she said, how interesting you should ask because I have a friend that's a sand artist and she collects all different color sands from all over the coast. And she brought, I know, it's amazing. Thing. So she brought back like 12. It was meant to be, right? Those, yeah, those things <laughs> happen wild. all the time. It's like when we, and I really believe this, and somebody, I don't know if it's Alexander, I think it was Keyshawn, you, we were talking about like being honest or 
keeping the work real. And it's about that being honest in our curiosity. If we're honest in our curiosity and our like true desire to want to want to honor our history and our loved ones, um, regardless of the fractures that happen within the family and you know within the community, those moments will arise all the time. And it's true. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. And I'm no different than another creative, you know. So um, I don't even know if I <laughs> So the material that you use, is that like organza? It's, uh, it's chiffon. Chiffon. So, um, so how did you decide to use that specific material? Is it because you wanted the see-through effect? Yeah. So, okay. Speaking on process, sometimes a seed is just sown, right? I had somebody ask me once, because um, I do a lot of work about the refugee immigrant immigrant story and with all the madness that's happening now they were they had asked me how do you get people to listen and I thought it was a really interesting question because uh I don't know if that's my job I think my responsibility is to sow seeds and I'd rather that be my responsibility because then it takes a lot of pressure off of me because we obviously people don't necessarily some people don't pay attention to facts right but they can't negate your story so um sowing seeds and so I um I'm sorry I lost my train of thought because my <laughs> my that's that's pretty much my process it just branches out to like <laughs> infinity so I started with these in 2000 oh process yes okay so 2013 I started working on these little tea bags. I have like a hundred and 200, sorry, 200 and like 14 of them. This is my mom with the uh, coriander. Um, this is my bungwai with like mung bean, my, my bungwai in me. And these are her used tea bags. So these, I ended up with a series of these in 2013. So it's almost a decade later and I'm kind of revisiting it, right? Like I just made that connection and we just don't know how those seeds are gonna sprout or if they will sprout. So we sow the seeds, maybe we don't even see it fruit, right? Like another will come water and then someone will harvest and then some will. Generations later, yeah. it grows. Yeah, so yeah, it's, we're all working together to, to bring fruit, right? Um, but yeah, it took like a whole decade for this to happen. And I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, and I bet it's gonna keep evolving. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yes, it's usually uh, one one work will kind of inform the rest. And then it's just this common thread that runs through. And then I just kind of have to, that's why I think one of the things that I used to be very insecure about is I make a lot of different kinds of work. I can't, when people ask what kind of work I make, um, I make work about family history, but it really doesn't tell them what kind of visual art I make because I paint too and I it's it's every medium has its strength and so depending on the story it's going the story is going to dictate what medium I'll use to help tell that story because again the history that they hold um, that's telling within itself and so I just want to examine things and then discover things that's like my goal it's not to make necessarily make like a successful work of art because I don't even know what that means well for me if I love the work it's successful <laughs> like if I get to a place where I love it and I've gleaned so much from it and I'm like I feel like I'm sinking deeper into the story that's when I know that it's yeah that's when I love it um but uh, yeah, it's, it takes just a lot of patience because the work takes on a life of its own and it informs me. And then I just kind of take that information and then I try to translate it into whatever medium. And then it does this thing where it starts very, um, it's very specific, right? Because I only know my life, right? Like I know my life best, I should say, um, and my family history. And I focus on that. But then as I work, it starts broadening. So these pieces were about mourning um, the things that we've left behind, the people that we've lost. And that's why they're white, right? Because in the Vietnamese culture, 
you wear white. At yeah, the they're house. so ghostly. Like at night, this is not fun to look. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in the bathroom and like there's these floating. Yeah, very ghostly for sure. Um, you know, but it's also, there's such beauty that comes out of this death. And I just cannot understand how that happens in life. Like Alexander was talking about um, his, the death of his mother, like, offering this rebirth of identity for him as a Vietnamese American like how does that happen and how would how would we even expect that to happen when we're so deep in the morning and so there's something really profound about the way that there's so much growth that can come from death and I I really try to focus on that in my work because to remind us that it's true um, if we choose to see it, <laughs> I mean, it's true regardless of whether or not we choose to see it. I would be so bold to like to say um, because of my experiences, but um, it it brings hope, you know, in that grief, um, knowing that there's growth, um, potential growth that gives us hope for everything you know to move forward there's a quote that I've shared often and I'll share it again because I love it so much it's by Cynthia Ocelli and it's something like oh please help me remember those it's something like um for a for a seed to achieve its greatest expression everything must change the shell cracks the insides come out and everything changes to those who don't understand growth it would seem like utter destruction so profound right <laughs> No, beautifully said. Thank you so much, Trin, for sharing this, her piece. And I can't wait to see how it evolves, yeah, by the way, because I know when I talk to you months from now, I'm sure it's just going to be telling a different story, which is the amazing part about it. But thank you so much for your piece, um, Things Hidden. Thank, thank you, Trin. Yeah, so our last storytellers are Hung and Karen Han Nguyen. Um, and they're the oldest uh, sisters of four siblings um, that host the podcast Growing Up Nguyen. With their siblings, they discuss cultural identity, both the blessings and challenges that come with being Vietnamese American. With two seasons under their belt, they all look forward to season three with stories tracing the oldest sister syndrome. I'm the oldest, so. <laughs> Um, uh, their um, noise, infamous cheekbones, and recording their signature harmonious laugh track. So when not chatting with their siblings, Hung is a human resources lead at an independent living center, and uh, Karen Han works in electrical safety for Californians. They were born and raised in the town, aka Oakland, and they're still hella holding down their roots. The title of their story is Naive Kobo. Khi chúa thương gai tôi về, hồn tôi hân If you've heard this song before, I'm sorry. If you've heard this multiple times, how many souls, how many bodies? October 10th, 2019, this was the third time I was part of God's final plan. I walked into mass and walked out with a kantang, a headband to identify that I am the daughter, and there in the coffin lies my father. In Vietnam, wearing white symbolizes grief and loss, but in America, we wear black, a sign our cultures have crossed. Friends and family walk up to the altar with incense to honor my father. One incense, one bow, infinite smoke rises with infinite prayers. Incense perfume reminds me that funerals are a, a community, community affair. affair. It's a sad song. It's an old song. Our tears remind us there were blessings. It's a song written long ago to guide us with expressing and professing. The chapel doors close, the choir warms the room. Now he's Francisco Xavier, no longer Nguyen Can Hung. A saint name for a soul returning home. Life in Oakland was only on loan, one down, 99 to go, 100 days of prayers to, to companion, companion his soul home. Vietnamese hymns and prayers embrace me, my ancestors and elders surround me. For, for grieving me's community. Ngày tham viếng và thánh lễ anh tang, gia đình và các bạn bè của bố lại ngày về của bố. Both friends and families depart, emptiness settles in. We say our thanks and pass out food to verbalize and symbolize our gratitude. They say grief occurs in five stages, and we thank to mark these changes. When October 10, 2022 is finally here, we go win for you, Bo, again. It's an old song. It's a sad song. In our tears, let us remember our blessings. It's a song written long ago to guide us with expressing and professing. 
I know there will be a time when I grieve again. I know tradition will guide me then and again. Like ja. Kính mừng Maria. Amen. Amen. Has Vietnamese tradition hacked the grieving process? Everything I've done has brought me some progress. Where white light candles don't yan name his soul and pray, faith will carry me through the rough days and the easy days. It's an old song. It's a sad song. Through my tears, I remember the blessings. It's a love song written long ago to guide me with expressing and professing loss is physical, grief emotional, processing is sociable. And every 10th, every holiday, and every anniversary, we pray and sing again and again. Khi Chúa thương gọi tôi về, hồn tôi hân hoan như trong một giấc mơ. Miền tôi nước vui tình cười, lưỡi tôi vang lời ca hát. Ngàn dân tung hô, tôi thật hạnh phúc. Wow. Um, I'm I'm just kind of speechless right now. Um, with the, <laughs> with the problem because I'm a co-host. Um, but I I'm just in awe of the uniqueness of this piece. Um, it's so beautiful. It's just so thoughtful, and it's something that we've never seen before um, in any of the submissions we've ever received. Um, two sisters, um, you know, sharing their story together, and you know, in some parts in unison. Um, you know, can you tell us more about the process in creating this piece? Um, was it fully collaboration? Did you involve any of your other siblings? And what was it like revisiting the loss of your, your father in, in, in 2019? I think one of the key lines was, um, has Vietnamese tradition hacked the grieving process? And that, that was one of the, the first lines that like, came to my mind when I, I thought about it. Yeah, and I just want to interrupt real quick. Um, yeah. I think that was the grounding line for like, I wanted to set for the entire tone of the piece. Yeah. And then from there, we, we built around it, like the, the rituals that like grounded us through, through loss, right? Like the prayers, the incense, the music. It was, it allowed us to express or maybe like allow ourselves to feel things that maybe we hadn't given ourselves the permission to feel yet or express. And um, our brother, he's actually the one singing yes. the beginning and the end because we couldn't find a recording. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, hey, yeah. <laughs> fine, see him on Broadway soon. <laughs> I'm throwing it out there. Um, but, you know, most importantly, I think through those rituals, like the prayers, incense, the music, there is a community and a community that supported us with their presence and sometimes good, really good food. Um, it, it was comforting. And so this piece was a, also like an appreciation piece for all the people that like were part of us with, with us through, through that process. Yeah. And then just to add on like that one piece about appreciation, I read somewhere that grief is the final expression of love. And I feel like this poem, the funeral process, all of it was just um, to honor and appreciate Bo. Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. I, I just, I can't imagine, uh, I, I imagine, you know, your, your dad really looking down and being very proud of, of the both of you. So um, thank you for sharing that story. Um, so I mentioned in, in your bio, uh, you're, you're, you have a podcast with your, your two other siblings. Um, can you tell us more about the podcast and what it's like to have a podcast with your siblings? I'm also one of four. Oh, really? Never. I could never do that. Never? No. Really? Constantly fighting for like, if you want to listen to us fighting for an hour, please subscribe. But yeah, I would love to hear more about like how that idea came to fruition. And, and like, it sounds like the four of you are very creative. Like, so, so just, just tell us, yeah, tell us more about the podcast and what we can expect. Yeah, uh, a signature okay. laugh track. That's what you get. <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess in the same way, I think Alex has said his, his death of his mother was kind of like a spark for him. This actually when the loss of our dad was a spark for us to um, to do the podcast. Yes, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And I um, growing up when is like it's kind of like a time capsule for our, our past and our present. Um, I think it's an, an honest portrayal, um, truthful portrayal of like us, our lives as Vietnamese American. We're uncovering things that uh, are discussing things uh, about our lived experiences from the different school environments we had, um, to social groups, uh, generation difference. There's like a 10 year age gap between me and Huang. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so to really just really honor this, the fact that the Vietnamese experience is not a, a monolith, um, even amongst us four siblings. And um, I think the tagline really takes it home for us where um, we're trying to hold on to our identity while still fulfilling our parents' dreams. And a part of that is just figuring out who you are, holding, knowing that there's a legacy behind you. Because one of our, our parents and our grandparents included loss, struggle, grief in the journey to America. And there's also blessings too that, um, uh, one of the speakers already talked about just like the hope and the optimism for future generations. Yeah. 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 So, and it's, yeah, throughout the podcast, it's like, well, we're, we're talking about our experiences and we're also uncovering stories that maybe we hadn't even spoken to each other about <laughs> along the way. And whether those stories, you know, make sense or not, it, it kind of gives us a little bit of a window, like our individual perspectives into our, our parents as well. And whether it makes sense or not, I think it's always motivating us to, to, to be like to be curious and to get to know our parents a little bit more because even outside of this I'll talk to my mom like oh I you know I heard that you know talk about the stories that we're telling each other and our perspective as siblings and how they each you know, they saw our parents um and that's kind of key like we're we know that stories are changing everyone has different perspectives and so we want to preserve like and remember all the stories um Lowell loves telling stories he loved talking about the Vietnam War about current events about politics so this is a little bit of an homage to him because we're, we're talking <laughs> and I think he he just he would really want us to do that. Yeah. Um, and as we studied in Dubai, we want to like expand that we've talked about ourselves, our nuclear family, and we want to invite our cousins and aunts and uncles. And so that you know, the growing up win is, you know, generally about us and just exploring that that experience. Yeah. In different versions of Vietnamese American. Oh, I love that it's a family. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, I love it. And um, somebody once asked me, do your parents listen to your podcast and what do they think? So I, have <laughs> your mom, has she listened to it and what does she think? I think she thinks it's great we're doing it. Um, it is in English and I, otherwise, so that becomes a little bit of a great, um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, she, she thinks it's like great that we're exploring this and she's always happy to, to tell the stories or suggest who we can interview. Um, you know, like, you know, what, ways and, and you know my Vietnamese is not like a hundred percent so you know it's just very helpful in helping me you know define the words or identify the topic that I, I want to discuss I love that so much my mom would just be like my noi like so true my parents are like keep podcast like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly so she, do they so share with friends too. like I know I can get her, my mom will like you know let people know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope, you know, Tracy, your, your mom's been sharing the, the podcast on her Facebook and, and all that <laughs> stuff, but. Well, it's funny, like, my parents know that I'm doing it, and they're like, they talk about it, like, they know what it's about to people, but I don't think they've listened <laughs> to it, but they did inspire me to create, I have Vietnamese flyers, um, Ashley on our team actually helped me design it, where it has icons for how to download an app on your phone and find the Vietnamese podcast. And we translate it in Vietnamese. And so my parents inspired me to create that flyer and we were passing it around in Vietnamese centers and communities so that, you know, their generation could find the podcast. <laughs> you know, I guess, to, you know, I was thinking about that too, like how your podcast is telling stories, different versions of Vietnamese American stories. And um, I know, cause you're asking people to, to t tell their stories. And I know, Sometimes it could be a little tough. And in the same way, I guess we want to, you know, our podcast to be also an inspiration for people to talk or encourage people to talk to their parents, their relatives about these stories. And y'all have the, the story cards coming up. So <laughs> encouragement all around. Yeah, absolutely. Let's 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 yeah. shift. Let's shift the narrative and, and get our, our loved ones talking, you know, yeah. about their lives and their sharing their personal stories. I love it so much. I have one last final question for you. Okay. Um, and the question is, if you could summarize what it's like uh, growing up as a Nguyen into one sentence, what would that be? Growing up as a Nguyen. That's a good question, first of all. <laughs> That's a really good question. A person of too many words. Um, okay, <laughs> let's see. I'm gonna borrow from our tagline. Like, I think it's a blessing. Uh, we have a blessing where we have the comfort of tradition, 
and the opportunity to, to build um, my own legacy as, as an idiot. Yeah. Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> it makes me feel like it's our tagline, <laughs> holding on to our identity while honoring our parents' dreams. Yeah. Beautiful. Wait, which one's older? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you say there was a, almost a 10 year age gap? Um, between me and her, we're 18 months. 18 months. Oh, okay, okay, got it, got it, got it. And then the but boys. Your youngest sibling, okay. No, the younger brother yeah. is 10 okay. years. Okay. Yeah. I know how it is. My oldest brother and I are 17, 17. years apart. Wow. Mm. wow. Almost 17. Yeah. But now we're like bros. <laughs> I mean, when you get older, like yeah, that age doesn't, doesn't make a difference yeah. anymore. Oh, I love it. I'm going to call my siblings after this. Thank you for inspiring. For the full visual experience of the stories shared, visit our website at www.vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash 2022 storytellers. And thank you to this year's story supporters. Asian-owned small businesses Maggie Q from Keep Up, Red Boat Fish Sauce, Tantan Foods, Key to Teas, Tuk Tuk Box, and Viet Five Coffee. For more details on these small businesses or to connect with any of our storytellers, visit our Instagram page at Vietnamese Boat People and look for details under 2022 Mei Story Slam. And a shout out to our VBP team members for their dedication in making this event possible. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.